You are listening to Girl Speak, a podcast series all about art, history, and contemporary culture with a girl's eye view. Hi, everyone. Welcome to episode 117 of Girl Speak, Girl Saints. I'm Ashley E. Reamer, the founder and head girl of Girl Museum. Thank you for tuning in, downloading, or streaming us today. Girl Speak is produced by Girl Museum, the first and only museum in the world dedicated to celebrating girlhood. Girl Museum explores art, culture, and history of girls around the world in the past and present. All of our programs are volunteer-run and supported by listeners like you. Very special thanks to our sisterhood patrons, Denise McLean Davidson, Erica Holt, Hilary Rose, Juliana Griffin, Mary Celeste Kearney, and Michelle Taylor Bucock. Visit us on the web at www.girlmuseum.org. At the end of 2010, our first full year of being Girl Museum, we launched an exhibition about girl saints. The show was a real labor of love, as I've always been fascinated with images of the female saints. Most are so unbelievably violent that it is no wonder that girls and young women have become the natural and accepted victims of violence in horror films, meaning that centuries of desensitization with regards to stories and images of violence against girls and women make it easier and just more acceptable to see these types of images on screen and in print. And while I'm not saying that playing violent video games makes people behave more violently, I am saying that putting images and ideas into minds is precisely what religions, governments, and marketing companies have been doing for centuries to control minds and to control the bodies of the public. And the trials and tribulations of what these female saints went through to become a saint in the past versus today is terrifying. The horrific ways women, and especially girls, were treated make for nightmarish tales, but their strength, both physically and more importantly of their minds and convictions, to withstand tortures of so many kinds is really amazing. So full disclosure, I am not Catholic or Anglican or Episcopal, so my relationship with these girls is based on historic interest and not any kind of religious education. Um, We will have a story at the end of the show from one of our junior girls, Sophie, who shares with us um, a more personal story about her saint. So to get started, I will briefly talk about what the show was, some of the saints we included, and anything new we've learned and some parallels we can draw into today's world. So there are three kinds of saints we discussed. The mythical saints, who never really existed in all likelihood, but their stories come mainly from legends the fantastical whose stories are based in truth but are probably hugely embellished and then the historic who were confirmed as real people whose stories have been documented while girls being tortured and killed whether for religious or political reasons is nothing to celebrate these stories and images demonstrate a strong theme in history the destruction of girlhood we look at representations of 16 females saints to learn about their lives and death asking whether these images justify their messages today i'm going to dive into the stories of six of these girl saints 
the better known ones like uh, the Virgin Mary, Joan of Arc, and St. Bernadette have had their stories told many times before, so I'll focus on some of the more obscure ones. We designed the show in chronological order, as we often do, starting with the first sort of girl saint we could find. Um, she was from Roman times, and her name was Clelia. However, Clelia's story does predate the birth of Jesus, so her story is more of a benchmark of how heroic girls were treated before Christianity. She was a Roman girl, like I said, uh, thought to be around 10 years old. She, along with nine other boys and girls, were handed over as a part of a trade package to the Etruscan king Lars Porsena in the 6th century BCE. The hostage hostages were intended to secure a peace treaty between the two countries. Unhappy that she was being used as a negotiating pawn, Clelia led the young female hostages in an escape out of the Etruscan camp by tricking the guards and crossing the Tiber River back into Rome, where she and the other girls returned to their families. This brave and difficult escape was successful for the moment. But sadly, Clelia's own father sent her back to Porcina so that the peace treaty could be upheld. This brings up the strongest and most consistent theme that carries on throughout the girl saint stories, betrayal by a family member or close friend. These girls are typically betrayed by their fathers or the men who have been refused their marriage proposal. Clelia is lucky as she is not killed by Lars Porcina. In fact, Porcina admires Clelia's bravery and he rewards her by freeing both her and the rest of the hostages. But as we will see, once religion is at stake, these girls pay the ultimate price for their disobedience. Interestingly, the next four saints all lived and died around the same time. 300 CE in different areas of the Roman Empire. I'll start with Eulalia, who lived in what is now Spain. She is important to me because the John William Waterhouse painting of her final moments from 1885 is one of the most devastating uh, works in art history. Um, aged only 13, she was martyred in Barcelona for refusing to recant her Christianity and make offerings to the pagan gods. The Roman Emperor Diocletian despised Christians and wanted them all to recant their faith. He ordered Eulalia to suffer 13 different tortures, corresponding one for each year of her age, before an inevitable death by decapitation. At the end of each torture, if she still refused to abandon her religion and to embrace the pagan gods, the next torture would be carried out. I won't detail the tortures, as they are truly horrific. But according to the legend, at the moment of her death, a white dove of peace emerged from her mouth. Eulalia is honored through the dedication of the Cathedral of the Holy Cross in St. Eulalia, where her body is entombed in the cathedral's crypt in Barcelona. Construction of the cathedral occurred in the 13th to 15th centuries, with most of the work being done in the 14th. The cathedral has a secluded Gothic cloister where 13 white geese are kept. Today, Eulalia is the patron saint of Barcelona, especially for children. The festival of St. Eulalia is held there for a week around her feast day, February 12th. 
The festival includes a huge parade, a circus, dances, markets, and music, all where children are the protagonists. Girls today can even retrace the steps of Eulalia during her festival. Her story of extreme courage and unwavering belief is one to be admired. Girls today could think about their own beliefs and ideals and how they would defend them if they're challenged. Not just religious ones, but any kind. Familial, education, any kind. Next, according to tradition, was Agnes, a member of the Roman nobility born in 291 CE. She was raised in an early Christian family. At the age of 13, Agnes refused to marry the governor of Rome in favor of a life of chastity, purity, and devotion to God. In retaliation, he ordered that she be dragged through the streets, naked, to a brothel. On the way, she prayed, and her hair grew long, shielding her nakedness. But because she was a naked girl in the street, she was, of course, attacked. The men who tried to rape her were struck blind. After a trial and several failed attempts to burn her at the stake, she was finally beheaded around 304 CE. A few days after her death, Agnes's foster sister was praying next to her tomb. She was stoned to death after refusing to leave the place and reprimanding the pagans for killing Agnes. Agnes is the patron saint of young girls, rape victims, chastity, and engaged couples. Her feast day is the 21st of January. The United Nations states that 15 million girls aged 15 to 19 have suffered acts of sexual violence around the world, and many of these adolescent girls are at risk of forced sex by a current or former husband, partner, or boyfriend. Agnes was only one of millions who still are victims of these atro atrocious attacks. St. Lucy was the daughter of a rich nobleman who died when she was young, so her mother arranged Lucy's marriage to a rich pagan man. Lucy instead committed her life to Christ and pledged to remain a virgin. During a trip to the tomb of St. Agatha, Lucy saw a vision. Her vision was of St. Agatha, and her mother's long-standing illness was miraculously cured. Her mother converted to Christianity and agreed to end Lucy's marriage, but her bridegroom was not having it. He denounced her to the Roman governor as a Christian, which at the time was a crime punishable by death. When Lucy refused to renounce her faith, she was sentenced to forced prostitution and later death. She was 21. Lucy was blinded before her death, but there are several versions of how this occurred. In one, the soldiers who came to punish her were, were miraculously unable to move or burn her, so instead they took out her eyes with a fork. In another version, Lucy's betrothed admired her beautiful eyes, and not willing to be married to him, she tore them out herself and gave them to him, with the plea, Now let me live with God. This is one of the reasons that Lucy is the patron of blind people and eye illnesses. Her Latin name, Lucia, shares the root luc with the Latin word for light, lux. A number of traditions incorporate symbolic meaning of St. Lucy as the bearer of light in the darkness of winter, and her feast day is on one of the darkest days of the year, December 13th. Lucy stayed true to her own beliefs despite the mortal danger she faced. She was brave, faithful, and honest. We can relate her story today with the adage, be true to yourself. St. Barbara lived in Nicomedia 
in today's Turkey and was the daughter of a wealthy man named Dioscorus. He kept her locked in a tower to keep Barbara away from the men who wished to marry her. While her father was away, Barbara had three windows added to her new bathhouse. These were symbolic of the Holy Trinity, instead of the two her father had instructed to be built. And when he returned, she revealed to him that she had become a Christian. To escape his fury, Barbara fled into a cave in the mountains, where she later was betrayed by a shepherd who delivered her back to her father. When Dioscorus reported her faith to the authorities, Barbara was condemned to torture. But every morning the wounds from her torture were healed, and during the night Barbara's prison was bathed in light. Torches that were being used to burn her went out as soon as they came near her skin. Finally, she was sentenced to death by beheading, which seems to be common. Her father carried out the execution in 306 CE. But on his way home, Barbara's father was struck by lightning in divine retribution. Because of the manner of her father's demise, St. Barbara is associated with lightning, fire, thunderstorms, and explosions. But also, she is the patron saint of artillery, mining, and those threatened by sudden death. But due to the tower that she lived in, she is also the patron of something a bit more positive, architects and masons. Her association with artillery and mining and those who died in wartime paint her as a warrior saint, kind of like Joan of Arc, which does seem odd because there are actually similar stories in the news all the time, today. Girls killed by their family members for their honor or religion. It doesn't seem so far-fetched. And now finally, a more modern girl saint, Maria Goretti. Maria was born to a poor family, the third of seven children in the province of Ancona, Italy in 1890. They were going through financial difficulties and after her last sibling was born, the family moved closer to Rome. Her father started to work for the Count Mazzoleni, but just a year later he passed away. So her mother had to go to work and Maria and her older brothers took care of the younger children. Once she took her first communion, Maria decided to remain a virgin dedicated to God. Soon after, a young man whom the family shared quarters with made advances on her and Maria refused him. He was so angered by her denial that he stabbed her. Maria's suffering lasted for a whole day and despite her severe wounds, she did not stop praying the whole time. And during this time it took for her to die, she even forgave her attacker, which shows the depth of the patriarchal hold on girls' minds and bodies. Because of her suffering, her murderer apparently repented and became a good Christian. He was even invited to her canonization, which seems completely crazy to me. The continuous abuse of girls and young women by unwanted advances of men, and then the men somehow come out fine and the girls are dead? It just doesn't make any sense. What do people want from girls as evidenced by these girl saints? Innocence, obedience, virginity? However, if they pledge their lives to themselves or to a cause, and in this case religion, where part of that deal is their control over their own bodies, deciding what will happen to their own bodies and minds, to choose chastity, and their own compliance to themselves, then they're still punished. It is the ultimate damned if you do and damned if you don't. Control here is really the key, both within and without religious doctrine.
The messages of these individual girls, whether they were actual historic figures or just mythological ones, is bravery, strength, integrity, and personal expression, as well as body autonomy. But also, truly, be careful who you trust, because these stories, as well as much of the news today, really points up that it is the men who are meant to protect those who they usually are abusing, and in many cases, they ultimately kill them. To close our podcast today, I want to include a story from Sophie, one of our junior girls, who has her own saint, Ursula. Here's what she has to say. A little bit about St. Ursula. In Catholic Confirmation, we take on the name of a saint as a guide and inspiration for ourselves. My Confirmation namesake is St. Angela Marici, a Renaissance-era teacher. She named the teaching order she founded after an earlier saint, St. Ursula, who was seen as the patron saint of girl students. Very little is actually known about Ursula. Medieval stories suggest that she was killed on a doomed voyage to meet her intended husband. The story goes that she set out to meet him via a pilgrimage to Rome and took with her 11,000 handmaidens. This is probably where her patronage of girl students came from. For young girls in that period, princess and handmaidens alike, a pilgrimage would have been an incredible opportunity to travel, to escape the adults that normally control their lives, and to learn from their experiences of the outside world along the way. Some people think that the number 11,000 came from Ursula having actually been 11 years old at the time. If she really was a princess in the Middle Ages, about to get married, she would have likely been around this age, or maybe a little bit older. But one of the few records of a historical Ursula is a tombstone that says that she died at the age of eight years and two months. So whatever really happened to Ursula, it seems unlikely that she lived past childhood. As a fan of ancient history, I love her name. Ursula means little bear, which is wonderfully fierce, but also reminds me of the Arkoi, little aristocratic Athenian girls, who would dress up as bears and compete in races during a festival to Artemis. Like the supposed handmaidens, and like Angela Marucci's students, these Arkoi, these girls were getting to step outside of anything that would ever have been expected of their lives. They were getting to be wild, to enjoy sports, even to just be outdoors and visible in society. When men over the centuries have focused on famous girls and religion, they've tended to focus on their virginity, not on the barriers they broke through. But most of the girls that we remember are remembered because they broke the boundaries. I want to thank Sophie Small so much for sharing that story with us. It's a really nice note to leave on. So also be sure to tune into our next podcast on November 20th, where we will be talking about girl pilgrims. A really special thanks to Rosalie Elif and Alicia Pajares for their wonderful research for this episode. Finally, please help to support the future production of Girl Speak podcasts by visiting us at girlmuseum.org and clicking donate. Thank you and have a wonderful day. If you like hearing a fresh, girl-positive perspective on the internet, please support us with a tax-deductible donation easily made on our website. Our music is courtesy of up-and-coming artist Han Av. You can find her SoundCloud link on our website.